0: If you'll open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, that is where we're going to hang out the entire morning. Ecclesiastes. Uh, <clears throat> Ecclesiastes may be one of the most depressing books you'll ever read in your life. How's that for an opening, huh? <laughs> it really, it really sounds depressing until he gets to his ultimate point. There's eight conclusions that Solomon, Solomon is the author of Ecclesiastes. He's known in, as Kohelet as in Hebrew, but it's, it's the preacher or the teacher throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, and the teacher is examining life and the futility of it all. Boy, if you were depressed before, just start with Ecclesiastes, and you'll go on a downward spiral pretty quick. So let's uh, open up to Ecclesiastes and have a good time this morning. Um, (laughs) You know, it is Thanksgiving week, and so, you know, you would expect to hear a a message on Thanksgiving, which this is, believe it or not, we're going to start with depression and we're going to end in Thanksgiving. So just to give you a little bit of light at the end of a long, dark, ecclesiastical tunnel, Um, it's about a man who is searching for meaning in life. He doesn't, he, he can't find it in anything. He wants meaning, he wants purpose, he wants value in life, and he wants satisfaction out of life. This book was written many, about probably about 3,000 years ago, but it might as well have been written for today. Because, see, let's, let's just start with his opening words here. Starting in verse 2, he says, everything is meaningless. We're going down that spiral real quick here. The teacher says, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries round to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out to the sea again, Everything is wearisome, beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Yeah! Welcome to the holidays, everybody. (laughs) He's he's, He's doing more than making an observation about the water cycle. He's doing more than just saying history repeats itself. Because he brings it to, to this, uh, this very, this very abrupt conclusion in, in verse eight. He says, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're never content. So the point of him talking about history going around in circles and circles, the point of him talking about the water cycle, the never-ending water cycle, the never-ending winds, is really to this. He's saying what happens in nature and what happens in history really is the story of humanity. Humanity doesn't change either, is what he's saying. Whether you lived 3,000 years ago when when Solomon wrote this, or we live today, or we live 3,000 years from now. Says so humanity doesn't change as surely as history repeats itself, as surely as the seasons change, and as surely as the water cycle continues. Humanity doesn't change. And what is, what is he what, what is his his description about their non-changing? He says they're never satisfied and they're never content. So that's his that's his opening observation. That's how, he be, that's how he begins this entire 12-chapter book on the meaning of life. And he says, I want to set the premise. I want to set the foundation. You just need to know how human beings are in their fallen state. In their fallen state, they're never content. In their all, fallen state, they always want more. In their fallen state, they all, they're never, ever satisfied with life. It's the same Old story. Generation after generation after generation. It's the same old story. We have a generation, the millennial generation and generation Z, which is uh, basically, if I'm not mistaken, about 20 years old and under or 18 years old and under is generation Z and about 20 ish to about my age would be uh, millennials. I would be considered the absolute oldest of all the millennials. How do you like that? You have a millennial for a pastor. Bam. All right. <laughs> Brother, gluten, I'm all about it. All right. <laughs> and so, so we have these generations that, that the, these younger generations that are saying, we need radical reform. We need to do things different and we need to change the way things are done, and everything needs to be new and everything needs to be completely different. Unless I'm mistaken, every generation has said that. Remember the hippies? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we forgot about that. Every generation does it. As, as the teacher uh, most astutely points out throughout the entire book, nothing is new under the sun. Well, Pastor, rocket ships are new and smartphones are new. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sure. Inventions are new. But he's not talking about inventions being new. Uh, he's talking about human nature. The, the the desire to always change things and never be satisfied and never be content and all that stuff. Never be completely thankful with what's going on in our lives. It's, nothing is new. No matter what generation is or was or will be, it's still the same story. The same old, tired story. So... We're going we're gonna to skip over to chapter 2 here, and we're going to read vast swaths uh, throughout Ecclesiastes this morning. So just hold on, because we're going to read all eight of his conclusions. And this, is gonna, this is good stuff, because we're going to get to this ultimate conclusion, which is going to bring everything to a head here. But he said in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look into the good things of life but I found that this too was meaningless. So he says, okay, I'm not happy. I'm not finding value or meaning in my life. I'm depressed. I'm hopeless. So let's try and make sense of this whole thing. So this is number one. Pleasure must make me happy. So I'm going to try pleasure. And, And he goes on in chapter two to say, I denied myself no good thing. Now, Solomon is in a a unique position uh, that probably none of us in here have been, are, or ever will be. See, Solomon is the king. And not only is Solomon king, but he's been given vast amounts of wisdom by the Lord as well as vast amounts of wealth. He's richer than any other king before him or after him. And now when you look at his father, David, when he began to make preparations for the temple, he prepared probably in the vicinity of about a hundred billion dollars worth of materials, possibly more than that, of just preparatory materials for the temple. And a lot of that was out of his own personal treasure. That's a lot of money. Yet Solomon says, there's been no king richer than me. And it, the Bible says in, during Solomon's time that silver was as common as the dust. So Solomon is probably a trillionaire. So he is in a unique position as king and as a trillionaire to deny himself no good thing. He can, he can bankroll anything he wants to do and it's not an issue. See, he, he, he does the thing that we have only ever dreamt about in denying himself no good thing. And so coming from a man who has been there, who has done that, and who has had the bank to be able to do it, he says, now let me tell you my observations having lived this way. Because let's be honest, how many of you have ever dreamed of being a trillionaire and giving yourself everything your little heart desires. How many of you have ever fantasized about something like that? I only see like four hands up. I don't <laughs> believe you. I just don't believe it, <laughs> okay? Of course we all have. So let's, let's, let's read a little bit more of what Solomon uh, does. He says, so I found this to his meaning. So I said, laughter is silly, what good does it do to seek pleasure? So the first thing he tries is, I'm going to hang out with my friends, and we're going to go out and have laughs. We're going to have a good time. We're going we're, we're to do anything that makes us laugh. Laughter is uh, uh, actually the same Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs, laughter does good like a medicine. So he said, let's try that. Maybe that's the cure the emptiness in my life needs. Ha, 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 ha. We're going to go do whatever we're going to go cow tipping. I don't know. I don't know what they did back in those days. See, you're laughing at that right now, just the mere mention of it. Okay, so maybe Solomon and his friends were out cow tipping. Maybe they were, uh, I don't know what they were doing. But they were laughing. And after all the laughter, he says, this is just silly. See, laughter does good, do good luck of medicine, in moderation, and then it's the right time. But if you're looking for meaning in life in just laughing it up, he said it's silly. It doesn't. It doesn't fill. It, it, it's not. It's. It's like. Uh, it's like trying to, to feed yourself just straight ice cream for a month. Just all. I mean, it's good the first time. See, my brother. My brother had a brilliant observation about sweets, particularly donuts. He said. I. He said. He calls it the law of the second donut. The first donut is amazing. You love it, and it just hits the spot, and it might be the greatest thing you've ever had. You said, it's so good, I need a second donut. And when you eat the second donut, you always wish you hadn't done it. It just sits heavy. It sits greasy, greasy. And he's just like, oh, it just is never as good. You guys know what I'm talking about here? It's the law of the second donut. And so the, the, the law of the donut really is the laughter thing. We're just going to feed ourselves with sweets. We're going to laugh it up. And he said, this is silly. This, this doesn't fill. Okay, so then he goes on. So after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom... I clutched at foolishness in this way I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. So he says so so he goes from laughter to becoming an alcoholic. He 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 goes to his church and joins a small group and in that small group are Jack Daniels, Jim Beam and Jose Cuervo. And they named their small group Cazadores. And if you don't know what cazadores means in Spanish, it means the hunters. And then they went out hunting, looking for the elusive gray goose. All right, they're out there just, they're boozing it up. He becomes an alcoholic, and he says, in this way, I experienced some of the only happiness a lot of people ever experience in their short life, just boozing it up. And obviously, this doesn't fill. Okay, so I've tried laughter, and I've tried, I've tried alcohol. Uh, now, I've tried to find meaning. Verse 4, I've tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself. By planting beautiful vineyards, I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves both men and women, and others were born into my household, and I owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who lived in Jerusalem before me, and I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. In other words, my personal treasure was more vast then the combined treasure of many kings and many provinces is that I was richer than entire cities all put together. That's a lot of money. And he has the money to build. How many of you have ever wanted, I, I'd like a, a villa on the French Riviera, and I would like one in the mountains, and I would like one in the beach, and I'd like, look, we've all fantasized about something like that. See, Solomon did it. He built himself parks and gardens and vineyards and, and he has wealth and he has houses and he has everything his little heart desires. And, and it doesn't fill him because then he keeps looking for the next thing. He looks, he looks uh, 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 to wisdom and learning. He, becomes, he, he, he says, well, okay, maybe all of this is, well, I'll go to, to learn things. And I'll, I'll try and go to school, and maybe that will fill the void in my life. He said, no, that, that's foolishness too. It's because whether you're wise or you're a fool, you die the same. Again, you know, the, the joy is just emanating from Solomon, and we're, we all feel it. And so, so now, so he goes from becoming an alcoholic to now a, a, a school-aholic. And then, and then he, he goes on, he says, um, so I collected sums of great silver, treasure many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. And so he goes for the entertainment, I'm going to rub elbows with the most famous and the most powerful, with the most, uh, uh, the, the most uh, gifted singers. And I'm, my birthday party is going to include Justin Timberlake and Taylor Swift and the Biebs. So, we're, we're, we're going to have this big birthday bash, and I'm going to invite the greatest entertainers, the greatest comedians, the greatest singers, the greatest stars of anything you can imagine. I'm going to hire them, and they're going to come entertain me. And I'm, maybe that will fill. If I can rub elbows with the famous. No, because he keeps going. Because remember, he, back in chapter one, he says, We're never satisfied. never content see after all of these things he denies himself no pleasure and he has all the properties he's got all the houses he's got all the rich and famous he's got all the wealth he's got all this anything he can can uh, get his hands on and he's still searching and so he said he continues and saying and i had many beautiful concubines i had everything a man could desire Well, we know from the scriptural record that he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. He had a thousand women at his disposal. So he went from a workaholic to a schoolaholic to a sexaholic. And he's trying to, he's searching for meaning. He's searching for anything that will cause him to find value and meaning out of his life. And so far, Pleasure, the pleasure of laughter, and, and, and uh, alcohol, and property, and money, and school, and sex has not filled it. He continues, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work. Oh, so now he's a workaholic. So from, a, from an alcoholic to a sexaholic to a schoolaholic, now he's a workaholic. But listen, whatever oholic it is, it's still the same thing. You're grasping for something that potentially is going to fill the void of meaninglessness in, in life. I don't feel worth it. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like my life is accomplishing. So, so I, because I feel worthless, therefore, I need to insulate myself from the feelings of worthlessness. And there's got to be something better in life. So I'm going to try sex. I'm going to try alcohol. I'm going to try work. I'm going to try education. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try, 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 try to fill, 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 fill. And it always becomes an oholic. It always becomes some sort of addiction, and addiction has 25,000 different ways of manifesting itself. But it's always to say, maybe this will be the next thing. Maybe this will be the thing that finally satisfies me. And Solomon tries it all. So the very first conclusion he comes to, which I'm sorry, I, I, I went a little bit beyond it, is in the same old story, that we're never content. His first conclusion is this, if you could put it up there. So I discovered this after looking at the manor from every possible angle. Though I have searched repeatedly, I've not found what I was looking for. Only one out of a thousand men is virtuous and not one woman. But I did not, but I did find this. God created people to be virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. This is what I found. And he did the same thing. I'm going to search for this, 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 and it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's the same old story. And so finally, after being a a pleasure-holic, an alcoholic, sexaholic, schoolaholic, and a workaholic. says, why why should I leave the fruits of my labor to other people? This makes no sense. So I'm going to derive pleasure out of life by just working, 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 working. And then when I die, what? What happens to all the work of my hands? It goes to somebody who never worked for it. So he comes to conclusion number two. Conclusion number two is this. I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish. It was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. He says this out of, see, we all look for the happy life. This is what Solomon is doing. See, it's said that, that a, a smart man learns from his mistakes, but a wise man learns from somebody else's mistakes. This is the book of Ecclesiastes. See, Solomon has been able to do the things that we only dreamed of. And he can bankroll it all, and now he's saying, let me just tell you, having done it all, it's worthless. It means nothing. All right, well, okay. So it, pleasure won't make me happy. So now, now uh, work must make me happy. And so he works, and so let's jump over to, to verse 18. So he talks a little bit more about work and comes to another conclusion. He says, I came to hate all my hard work on the earth, for I must leave it to others, uh, to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Foolish yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and my hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work. And continues. So I gave up in despair. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill and then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This too is meaningless. A great tragedy so what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? What, what, what is it when you become a workaholic and you gain all this success working? So Here's what it is. Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. Boy, Solomon is just, he's just on a tear this morning. On a depression tear. So, he comes to his third conclusion. Ready? Find it in Ecclesiastes 2.24, and it's this. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. All right, all right. Okay, that's the first non-depressing thing he's managed to, to, to spit out at us. You enjoy your food, enjoy a drink, enjoy your work. He didn't say kill yourself over work. He says enjoy what you do. Okay, and we're, this is not the last time he comes to this conclusion. We'll see that in a few more times throughout, um, throughout Ecclesiastes. Okay, so after work and after his third conclusion, he says, Surely. I can find happiness in people. If I can't find it in pleasure and I can't find it in things, then maybe I can find it in humanity. Okay, but his quest for ultimate meaning and satisfaction in life, education, work, and pleasure have been fruitless, but perhaps he's looking in the wrong arena. We Look in the the people arena, the human arena. And maybe it's in this goodness of humanity that he can find what he's finally searching for. Maybe I've been missing it all along. Maybe it's in people. So, I, so, so well, but he runs into problems real quick. See, the culture today says that we as human beings are basically good people. We're, we're, we're you know, we don't kill people. Most of us, I suppose I don't know everybody's story in here. (laughs) We don't kill people. We try and live a good life, and we try and, uh, you know, follow the Bible as best we can, and we come to church on Sunday mornings. Oh, we're, We're doing okay. The problem is you're okay when you compare yourself to other people see, Samuel Brengel, who is one of the uh, founders of the Salvation Army, so he lived about 150 years ago or more, and he said this. He said, I got my eyes off of everything except me and Jesus, and I came to loathe myself. You see, when we, when we compare ourselves to other people in the world around us, according to our own criteria, we're doing pretty good. But, but when you, you compare it to, you forget everything else and you just compare you and Jesus, oh, we don't look so good anymore. And so I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of the work arena, the education arena, the pleasure arena, and I'm going to go to the human arena. And then he makes these observations people are corrupt, the powerful oppress the weak, the judges don't give justice, they're corrupt. And everybody does it. See, it's not, that, it's not that, you're, you, you, that, that we're basically good people. The Bible says that all of us are sinners. And all of us fall well short of the glory of God. And that the, the, the human nature, the fallen human nature after sin, is utterly corrupt. And this is what the preacher finds. I'm going to try it in the human arena. But they're all corrupt. Corrupt. And I can't find significance or meaning by basing my life's work or my life on people themselves because they always let me down. The judges do it. The powerful do it. They all, they all take advantage of people. And they're all envious of what everybody else has. So those are his big observations about humanity. They're corrupt, they're oppressive, and they're envious. And so his despair spirals spirals down yet further, bringing him to his fourth conclusion. So I concluded, he says, this is chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. So I concluded, there is nothing better than to be happy and to enjoy ourselves as long as we can And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. And then, very shortly after that, he makes a fifth conclusion. After all the things he's seen and experienced, so put up number five. And he says this So I saw that there was nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is why we're here. Now he's at five conclusions. People are corrupt. And then pretty much every, uh, er, people are corrupt, everything's meaningless, so that then the following three conclusions is, find happiness in your food and in your work. That's his conclusions thus far, but we still have three conclusions to get to, okay, but so people don't make him happy work and education don't make him happy and pleasure doesn't give him the happy life he's looking for so he has two more things that he's going to investigate power must make me happy we i, I have position and we all do it it's not just the power of a king it's not just the power of of somebody who has vast authority we all do it in, in somehow to make our lives feel like we are somehow worthwhile as a human being. We, we, we try and position ourselves, and it could be uh, at your job. You just you kind of elbow somebody or stab somebody in the back just a little bit so you can get ahead. You get the promotion. You get the raise. You get the credit and the glory for something because at the end of the day, if you ask yourself why, it's because, well, if I have some sort of achievement, some sort of power and position or prestige, then that somehow makes me a more valuable person. That's really the why behind it. We're looking for value out of life. We're looking for the significance that our lives are worth something, and the security that we are loved. Significance and security—that's what people are looking for. But so, so, but we all try the power thing. It could be in a ministry of the church. No, I want to be the leader of the small group this time. So I'm going to try and I'm going to try and weasel my way into it. Or I want to do something. Or I want. to... And it could be the most. Petty little thing. Whether it's at, at the at the home or, or at the church or, or, or at work or petty little things, we try and position ourselves so we look just a little bit better. I tried doing that. <laughs> this is several years ago, maybe almost ten years ago. Uh. I was, uh, uh, with, we were living in Dallas, Texas. We were associate pastors at a church out there. And I had had a, um, a meeting, a meeting with some young adults, and five people showed up. And when the pastor asked me about the meeting later, I said, yeah, five or six people were there. Okay, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. But later, I was in a time of prayer, and I said, Lord, just speak to me. Oh, and within about two seconds, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said these words. He goes, you are a liar. I said, excuse me? And I said, Lord, I really don't know what you mean by this. He said, the other day, when the pastor asked you about that meeting, you said, five or six people showed up. He goes, what was it, five or six? He goes, it was five, and you know it was five. I right, talk about petty. My gosh! And He said you exaggerated. You you added the or six on there just to make it look just a little bit better. He said that was an exaggerating, uh, an exaggeration, an exaggeration is a lie. You're a liar. Right, we, we do little games like that just to make me look just a. A little bit better. Give me a little bit better position, a little bit more prestige, and a little bit better standing. It's it's petty. His power will make you happy. So in in, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, he goes, It's better to be poor but a wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation goes up and rejects him too. So it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. In other words, he's saying, you want political power? You want position and prestige? They'll give it to you, but remember, the crowd is fickle until somebody better comes along. And as soon as somebody better comes along, you're out And now what is your life? Yikes. So power? Yeah, you may have it for a little bit. You may enjoy it for a little bit. But it's only for a little bit. And if you hang your life on it, it's really not going to be worth much. So he investigates another thing. So power and education, work and pleasure have not done it for him. So surely, I see, I can do without power. Okay, I could, Lord, I don't need power. I don't need position. No, don't need prestige. I just need money. Just make me rich, Lord. Lord, Lord, you don't understand. Oh, I've tried this one with the Lord too. He hasn't answered me yet. He said, he said Lord, if you make me rich, don't you know I will tithe to the church? You ever tried that one? Okay, what, this, is, this, is, this is serious. I, I, I did say this to the Lord once, and I said, Lord, okay, here's the deal. When you start by saying to the Lord, here's the deal, you're, you're, you're done already, all right? So, so I said, Lord, here's the deal. Why don't you just, why don't you give me 50 million dollars? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. You haven't gotten to the deal yet. If you give me $50 million, I will give $49 million away to the church. Eh? Eh? <laughs> and then you, you, you can, the Lord didn't say anything back to me, but you can kind of hear the heavenly thought process saying, well, if I wanted my church to have that money, why do I need to go through you? Why don't I just give 50 million to the church? Foiled again. <laughs> if I just had a million bucks, Lord, I'll give 49 million away, but just give me a million for me, and we're good. <sighs> but then the trillionaire speaks in book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, those who have money never have enough, and riches don't make you happy. So those who, were, those who are poor but work sleep well, but the rich rarely sleep well. Why? Because they're always worried about losing their wealth. They're always worried about somebody trying to s- uh, steal it from them. They're worried about bad investments. They're worried about whatever that's going to siphon off their wealth. So he said, this is, this is no good either. So that takes him to his sixth conclusion. Put number six up there. And it says, it is good, here's his conclusion, it is good for people to eat and drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and, oh, listen, and to accept their lot in life. This is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. This is his big, this is his big conclusion. This is number six out of eight. We only have one conclusion to go till we get to the big, the big tamale. It's actually not tamale. We say tamale in English. It's actually tamal. It's all right, all right. But that's neither here nor there. Okay, so, so now... We're, we're, we're into chapters 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, and, and the teacher begins to make observations about life, okay? He's tried, his, he's tried finding his happy life, pleasure and schooling and work and power and riches and it's all, and in human beings, and it's all worthless. Nothing has satisfied him. And so he makes some observations about life that are are, uh, worthy of just running through real quick. He says, number one, death comes to us all. We're going down. We're still going down. We haven't found the way out of this depression spiral yet. Death comes to us all. We have the same destiny. Weak or powerful, rich or poor, slave or king, we all die the same way. So then he says company or, or companionship is better than riches. And then he goes on to say, be careful how you come before God. He's God in heaven and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. Come, It's not good to come with your mouth open to the house of God and to make all your promises without thinking it through. So it come with reverence. So, so listen, listen. Companionship is good, reverence for God is good, and the future is determined by God, so accept the place he's placed you, accept your lot in life is what, how he puts it, so he's saying what's, what's, if we can't find it in all these other things, maybe we can start living more of a balanced life, maybe we need to start finding value in friendship, And find value in worshiping God and find value in being happy with where God has placed you. So the preacher in saying these things is forcing a question. And the question he's forcing is if we all have the same destiny and we can't take our accumulated wealth with us for which we have chased after our whole lives, then what is truly valuable? People break their heads, their families, their peace, and their lives running after everything that ultimately can't satisfy. And so the value is not after the things of life. What he's saying is God and acceptance and family and friends and your food. He says the value isn't in the things of life. The value is in living life itself and enjoying the years that God has given you. So he's forcing this question of, if you can't find it in the things, then where does any value lie? And so that brings him to his seventh conclusion. So he says this. This is Ecclesiastes 8.15. So, I recommend having fun because there's nothing better, in, uh, better for people in this world than to eat and drink and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. Okay, so so, so this, is, this is another forced question here. He's, he's forcing the question. If all this in life is worthless, what are true riches? If nothing satisfies, where can we find satisfaction? If the rich and the powerful are not satisfied and they have no true joy in life, chasing after their heart's desires, then what really makes people happy and who can be happy? See, now now we're getting into the beauty of this book. We, we've kind of hit rock bottom. That's good. Because in here, there's only one way to look, and it's back up, all right? So we're going to start climbing the spiral back up. Where can you find happiness, and who can be happy? See, this is the great. He said, enjoy your drink, enjoy your food, enjoy your family, enjoy your friends, and enjoy your work. See, the beauty of that is that plays no favorites. If you are poor or you are rich, you still have food, and family, and you still have things to do in life. And he says, you can, whether you're rich or you're poor, you can find enjoyment with what you have and with what God has placed in your hands right now. Chris, whether you're powerful or you're weak, you can enjoy what God has placed in your hands. Whether you're privileged or unprivileged, you can enjoy what's in your hands. And the beauty of that is it doesn't make any distinction between class or race or language or country or generation. What do you have in your hands? And the man who experienced everything says, be thankful for what you have right now stop trying to chase everything else that ultimately is meaningless. That's only seven conclusions. We haven't gotten to his final conclusion yet, because in reading through this book, he mentions God a few times. He mentions reverence God. He mentions these things are a gift from God. But but I remember about a year ago, I was reading and really studying through this book, and I And I wasn't concerned about what I saw. I was concerned about what I didn't see. Because Solomon makes no mention of anything of eternal value other than reverence God. Other than that, he doesn't say much. It's all focused on here and right now. And how many years do you have in this world? I don't know. 100? Ninety, a guy like my dad, forty-nine. What, what, what do you have? A precious woman in our congregation just this week went home to be home, went home to be with the Lord. Uh, Gloria, she goes to the Spanish-speaking service. You know, she lost her battle to cancer, but she's good now. She's with Jesus. So what? What about all of the striving? Whether it's forty-nine or. 67 or 82 or 98. Because all the conclusions Solomon's come to, these seven conclusions is all about enjoy what you have now, enjoy what God's placed in your hands. And I'm starting to think, okay, well, where's the eternal aspect of this? Because surely Solomon knows that this, there's more to this life. So there's the message, this whole book is the message of a man who ultimately finds purpose in the area. Listen. You can find happiness with what God puts in your hands right now but he ultimately, his eighth and final conclusion is he finds purpose not in pleasure, school, work, people, power or wealth. He finds it in the spirit realm, that's where he finds the significance and the meaning. He searched his whole life through the whole world, denying himself no good thing, and he says this in in uh, Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen through fourteen. He says this: Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. End of the book. That's how he ends the book. That's it. Last words. Final conclusion. See, up to now, all of his conclusions are, it's meaningless, people are corrupt, so enjoy what you have in your hands right now. Those are his first seven conclusions. And then ultimately said, now I've synthesized everything. And it says. Fear God and obey him. So on the earthly side, he says, be thankful and be content. And on the spiritual side, he says, fear God and obey him. Before you get to this, who God ultimately is the ultimate one who satisfies uh, everything, he says, until you get to your ultimate destination while you're here, be thankful and content but live a godly life. Because he repeatedly mentions throughout the book, we're all going to die the same way. Rich, poor, powerful, or weak, we're going to die. So how are you living now to find any contentment and how are you living to present God with anything of value later? Because he repeatedly says throughout the book, you can't take your riches with you. You can't take your hard work with you. You can't take your pleasure with you. So if you look, if you look to this world to just fill this flesh your whole life and then this flesh along with everything you filled it with dies and passes away and you stand before God what are you going to offer Him? And the answer is nothing because I left it all back on earth and nothing that I did produced anything of lasting eternal value. So I said here's my ultimate conclusion. Be thankful and content while you're on earth but also live to obey God's commands and fear Him because ultimately He will judge everything you did while you were here. So go ahead and enjoy yourself. It's fine. It's good. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your work. But fear Him. 1 Timothy 6.6. Here's the whole sum up of the entire book. You can find it in 1 Timothy 6.6. It says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's Ecclesiastes right there. Godliness with contentment is great gain, and it has nothing to do with your standing in life. It has to do with thankfulness, with what God has given you right now. And knowing that there is a reward that far outweighs anything in this life, I said, live for that. Be thankful with God what God has given you now. I'm going to ask that we all stand up together, please. Lord, I pray for my precious brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that any sort of oh in us, whether it's a pleasure-holic, a workaholic, an alcoholic, or any other sort of addiction that we grasp for in this life, trying to find value and meaning and pleasure and delight. Lord, that we would learn to find it in you and be content with what we have and stop being covetous and envious and grasping for the things that we don't. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, Lord, if there's any conviction about any parts of our lives, any of us, Lord, any parts of our lives that are so out of balance looking for things outside of you, when he says just fear the Lord and be happy with what the Lord has given you, Lord, I pray that you would learn to be content. We'd learn to love you above all things and fear you and serve you above all things. And in this season of gratitude, Lord, We just wanna say thank you. Thank you for what you've given us. Thank you what you put in our hands. Thank you for our lives. Thank you for the provision that you've given us, whether it's much or whether it's little. We thank you for it. Thank you for the food that you put on our table, whether it's much or little. Thank you for the roof over our head, whether it's big or small. Thank you for the position you've put us in our lives, Lord, whether it's great or little. Lord, teach us to be content and godly and live for you wherever you've placed us to touch everybody that you put within our reach. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, uh, there may be somebody here in in this room or, or listening online right now who you need to come to Jesus, who is the source of the happy life, who is the source... Of goodness and satisfaction and ultimate meaning in life. And you may be here and you know I've never fully surrendered my life to Jesus and I have tried everything else and it doesn't work. So why not give Jesus a shot? And if that's you, with your head bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask that you just signal me right now. Say, Pastor, I need Jesus right now. It could be that everybody in this room right now has already done it. But just in case somebody hasn't, or in case somebody listening right now hasn't done it, you need Jesus, and all you need to do is repent of your sins and say, Jesus, I'm here. I need you. Please forgive me and come into my heart. Lord, come into our hearts and make us grateful people and godly, uh, godly people. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Happy things.